If you've decided to take a seat on the front porch for this week's episode, pat yourself on the back. That could not be more appropriate because today we are featuring a man who is quite familiar with the front porch and his name is Bob Park. You in the Henderson area undoubtedly remember him from his On the Front Porch radio features, which aired on WSON for a little over a decade, as well as his book about tall tales and a few white lies from the front porch. But there's much more to Bob than just these. He has a strong history of teaching people, entertaining people, and it's thanks to him that most folks in Henderson know a little something about the sleepy community of Taffy, Kentucky. Were it not for Bob... Taffy would be but a mere blip on most of our radar screens of that. If you're not familiar with Bob, you're in for a real, real treat. This Dynamo is in his late 80s, still kicking. Yep, he still dabbles in a little bit of music and songwriting and even playwriting. So stick around for his inspirational story and words of wisdom this week on Blabbing in the Bluegrass Season 2, Episode 17. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Black Nats to Yellow Creek to Blue Spring, all of the Commonwealth's colorful communities are covered here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, Exploration and Celebration of All Things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore, and not only do we have all the colorful communities covered, we've got all the colorful characters covered. Now don't worry, this week's character is colorful in a very, very good way. Bob Park is his name, and we'll be spending the entire hour with Bob. Once we start chatting, you'll quickly understand why. He is the pride and joy of Taffy, Kentucky. Now, where is Taffy, you ask? We'll find out shortly, and he'll share with us some great stories from his childhood there. And why do we have Bob on the show? What's his title? Well, in fact, through the years, Bob has held a wide range of titles, ranging from teacher to author to playwright to musician. And even now, in his so-called retirement years, he continues to entertain audiences and be a delight to all of those he's around. Come to think of it, he has recently written a play that is scheduled to be acted out in August, tentatively. And I have been assigned the role of God in this play. I can only hope that I fill this role halfway respectably. I know the Lord has left me big, big shoes to fill, but I'll do what little I can. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast. Bob has so much to offer with his zest and love of life and words of wisdom. We'll dive into that here in just mere moments. So don't move a muscle. Before then, though, I do want to remind you that your feedback is not only 
welcome. It is encouraged. So send me those emails at bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S, B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. Nothing is off limits. I am open-minded to any kind of suggestions you may have as far as topics, guests, possible avenues that we should consider taking. And you can also get a hold of me via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. You can make comments, leave messages there. All of my previous shows are on that page. You can also stay up to date with additional information as it is presented throughout the course of the week as well. So I enjoy hearing from you. And it is now time for yet another Bluegrass Brain Buster. We try not to let a week go by without doing one of these. And since the Derby is taking place on Saturday, I have a Derby-themed Bluegrass Brain Buster for you this time. And here it is. I want to know which horse made the fastest recorded run in the Kentucky Derby to date. Again, which horse made the fastest recorded run in the Kentucky Derby to date? You think on that? Don't get on your horse and start riding because we've got a fabulous chat with Bob Park right at your fingertips and we will reveal the answer to the Bluegrass Brain Buster at the conclusion of the program. No, a horse is not a horse. Sam Moore proudly presents his Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. Well, guys and gals, today we are featuring a very prominent individual here in the uh, Henderson area. He's the uh, guy that put Taffy Kentucky on the map officially, and he's held a number of different hats through the years, from uh, educator to dean of students to author to playwright. The list just goes on and on, and we're going to hear more about it today and uh, dive into his... (laughs) rich history and find out about a play that um, he has just written, which is going to be acted out in August tentatively. We may have to change that day, but we'll talk about that as well. And it's none other than the man, the myth, the legend, Bob Park. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing, Sam? It's happy uh, it's nice to hear from you, my friend. Well, Things going well? We're <laughs> clicking on all cylinders over here and so glad to have you as a a guest on the program. How old are you now, Bob? I know you're in your late 80s. Ooh, I'm an old, old man. I'm 88 years old, and by the time we have this play, I will be 89. My birthday is July the 30th, so... I'm kind of long in the tooth now, Sam. <laughs> no, you know, no, nobody ever said you were long in the tooth. <laughs> I wrote a song not long ago called uh, 80 Years Ain't All That Old, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But it is. Well, now that I'm almost 33, yeah, I used to think 40 was old, and that seems pretty young now. But... Isn't, it, isn't it strange how we look at things differently as we age a little bit? We do. <laughs> it's all how you look at it, I guess. But uh, many people know you, Bob, as the uh, pride and joy of Taffy, Kentucky. And so why don't you first off share with us uh, some of your fondest memories of growing up in the sleepy little town of Taffy, Kentucky. Well, you know, it was such an interesting thing. Uh, the, uh, the, the general score there, uh, was the central part of the social life. We would, uh, we went 
uh, to the taffy store. We lived about two miles uh, from uh, from the store, and but it was longer. It was a long two miles because at least a mile of it was dirt road. So we had to in the winter we couldn't drive into our house. So we parked the car about a mile from the taffy store and had to walk the rest of the way. So. Uh, uh, it was uh, that was a long two miles. I remember one time, uh, Sam. I had uh, they didn't know what I had. It turned out I I think it was the mumps, but nobody could diagnose it, of course. And they right. got worried about how sick I was. And I remember they had to take me out to the car on a horse uh, to catch the car, to get it in the car to drive to Hartford. Have it have it had me checked out. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, Harford, I guess, would have been the uh, the, the county seat. Taffy is in Ohio yeah, County, yeah. for those of you that don't know. But uh, it was uh, it was a uh, county seat. It still is the county seat of Ohio County, which is ta- and Taffy is located. I judge. See, you can't uh, uh, judge miles today with the way they were then because the roads were so circuitous. You know, they just they took they took a turn here and a turn there, and and they weren't very good. So it made the trip such so much longer. And yeah. it was a big treat for us to go to ta- into Hartford. I remember they had a they had a neon sign uh, in one of the stores just as you came into Taffy. And if we go in, I always hope we stayed late enough so this neon sign would come on. It was a marathon man running. And I always hope we'd stay in there long enough they'd get the light. It'd be dark enough to have the light on so I could see him running. <laughs> so your your day wasn't complete until you saw that neon sign. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. My, my day spread around the neon sign. <laughs> oh, gosh. No. What what were some of the specialties of that old general store? What did you enjoy eating or, or, or drinking while you were over there? Yeah, well, you know, we would go out there at, uh, at, in the evenings. Now, Dad would go more often. He he was a man about town. He he loved to uh, he loved to talk and and uh, so. But we would go out the whole family and uh, 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 once or twice a week. And the women would gather in the behind the counter, and the store was kind of a long, narrow thing, kind of like an old shoe shop. Oh, uh-huh. And uh, the women would get behind the counter, and the men would be in the front. By the and and so they would all have us tails and all that. And oh, yeah. And all that. <laughs> the so, husbands could pick on their wives and vice versa. Uh, you know, Sam, this is interesting. Back in those days, when you bought gas, you bought it not by the dollar, which is where we do it today. Right. Uh, but we bought it by the gallon because we had a gravity-fed pump that you had to pump the gas up in. If you needed five gallons, you could you pumped it with a with a lever that had on, on the side there, and you pumped up to five gallon in a bulb. You see it above the tank. So and then then you just gravity fed it into the tank. But at any rate, those things were interesting. Did you eat lunch or dinner ever while you were there? No, no, no. We uh, we would eat at home, and uh, uh, then we'd go now. Uh, Dad had a job pumping pumping oil uh, 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 on one of the leases around Taffy, which was the very reason for Taffy's existence. Uh, there was an oil uh, boom in the, uh, around Taffy in the late 30s, 
and early 40s, and that was the reason most of us lived around there. Sure. And uh, But Dad, then, he got a little check coming in, and he had a little bit of pocket change. So the rule was there were five kids and Mom and Dad. So he had 35 cents in his pocket uh, when we'd leave and, and uh, to go out there, and he'd give each one of us kids a nickel. And you could buy a bar of candy, a cold drink, a, a sack of peanuts uh, with a nickel. Oh, all so, of life's essentials. So that's, that, that was the treat we had. Peanuts for a nickel. My, how, <laughs> how time yeah, changed. Yeah, just think of that. Imagine that. Yeah. It's... I remember one time I'd heard Mom and Dad talking about the money getting kind of tight. So I decided I'd drop my needs down. I went from a nickel to asking him for a penny. Because <laughs> you could get a penny piece of candy. You could get a piece of candy for a penny. <laughs> <laughs> now about the only things that uh, pennies are good for are uh, good luck. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll pick one up for good luck now and then that's about it but uh i know yeah. i know you had a brother that you ran around with was that your was that your only sibling no no i had five i had uh, i had uh, uh, three sisters and one brother there were five of us uh and what is uh, my oldest sister uh well i um my, I had an older sister and a younger sister and a brother who've all passed on. But my next oldest sister, who is 10 years older than me, she's 98. She lives in Hartford now. And oh. uh, she uh, she, is, she lives by herself, takes care of herself, and is just bright as a brand-new shiny penny. She's, she's <laughs> Just like her younger brother. Uh, pardon me? Just like her younger brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, she she remembers things that I've forgotten, and she's she'd be a great interview for you one time. She remembers things like double that I've forgotten. She corrects me a lot of times. But well, anyway, I, there were five of us, and uh, she and I are the, only, are the two left. We lived at Taffy till I was nine. Oh, and gotcha. so a lot of my stories about Taffy are a combination of, uh, of two stores. When I was nine, we Dad got a job pumping oil down at Livermore, at Island, across the river from Livermore. Oh, McLean County. Uh, uh, that's in uh, Island is, I don't know, that's, that's, that's mine. I is, think it's McLean. County, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. And at any rate, we lived there a year, uh, a little over a year, and then we moved back outside of Hartford to a little place called Beedut, five miles outside of Hartford toward Lawrenceboro. And there I, I, I had two really close friends we went through high school together with, and uh, and uh, they, they and I had some great experiences. We played ba- uh, basketball and baseball together and in town and and had to make our ways after practice. We had to make our ways that was five miles home, and they had a lot. Of, we had a lot of stories about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yes, yeah. indeed. So, so I guess um, that would have been a one-room schoolhouse, wouldn't it? Well, we. Uh, I started in the one-room schoolhouse at Taffy. It was called Taylor School. But when we moved to Beta, we went into Hartford. And it was a, a small elementary school where I started there, but it was several more. It was more than uh, one room. But I, I went to Taylor School 
my first four years, well, three years, I guess, I started, you'd like this, uh, when I was five, uh, my, I had, uh, 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 my, uh, my brother and my sister were in the school there. My brother was in the eighth grade and my sister was in the, uh, I guess she would have been the sixth. And so, uh, if I wanted to go to school, I'd get up in the morning, I'd go with them. <laughs> and, uh, uh, if I didn't want to go, I didn't go. So it was kind of a nice thing. And when I went, I sat in with the first graders. So, when I turned six, I, I, I started in. I sat there with the first graders. The teacher looked at me and said, Oh, you're in the second grade. You've already had all this. <laughs> so, Sam, I missed all of the first grade. <laughs> and, you know, now people will say, You know, you ought to know that. A first grader knows that. Well, I don't know it because I didn't. I didn't have a first grade. <laughs> the teacher, the teachers just assumed that you that knew all that. <laughs> so I, my education is is void there in that year, and I don't know anything that they teach in the first grade. So you'll have to excuse me if you ask a question <laughs> that, that a first I'll, grader should know, because I won't know it. I'll try not to ask any first grade questions. But that's that's funny though how your your teachers thought. Well, you've had that stuff because you always went with your sisters, or at least a lot of times you did. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. it was quite a it was quite an experience. I think there were eighteen or nineteen of us when I was uh, went to the when I went to the second grade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but at any rate, it was uh, so. We had a lot of experiences there. You just think of that, Sam, of uh, of a teacher, and I don't know why in the world they built the school where they built it. It had at one time been on a road you could drive to uh-huh. and it was rare it was a rare day that you could drive to this school when i was there we had to walk most of the way and it was somewhere around a, maybe a mile mile and a half or something like that but and, and you uh, everybody walked and in fact uh, uh two of the teachers my dad was called the uh, trustee which meant he kept everything in order and kept the Santa Claus suit at Christmas and stuff like that. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, uh, two of the teachers stayed with us in the winter uh, because they couldn't travel back out of out of Taffy. Oh, uh, so they stayed at your house. Was, so they just stayed at our house. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was nice of you to let them stay there. But well, uh, you know, uh, we had a, this is strange too, in the little house like we grew up in at the time, there were, uh, it was a four-room house, a kitchen and a living room and two bedrooms. Well, mom and dad slept in the living room. We ate in the kitchen and all of us five kids slept in one room and it was all we had a room for the parlor. Uh, <laughs> and, Gosh, and five the, kids in one room. <laughs> the teacher slept on the couch in that room. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's oh, that pretty room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pe- people take for granted being able to drive to the school today, wherever they, they go. Know, even the kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that wasn't always a luxury, depending on <laughs> where your school was. Yeah, that's absolute truth. It's absolute truth. Um, when did when did you end up in Henderson? We moved here in 1967. I had been, I taught, uh, I had taught 13 years when we moved here. I had spent uh, two 
years at Fordsville High School. If you know where Fordsville is. Oh yeah, I know Fordsville well. And then I had been. Then I taught three years at my old home school at Hartford. And then in 1959, I took a job at Fort Knox teaching uh, on the post, teaching the dependents of the of the uh, soldiers and the workers at, on Fort Knox. So I spent eight years there. Oh, and uh, uh, then I moved. Jane and I moved our family here in 1967. What exactly uh, drew you to Henderson? What made you want to come here? Well, uh, I had gotten. I had gone to. Western uh, and gotten a master's degree in counseling and I'm giving you a name from the past that you probably won't know but some of some of your people might know a man named Seth Farley Seth Farley uh, he was one of the Farleys here his brother was Harris Farley they lived out towards Spotsville and he was a I first met him when I went to Fort Knox he was a counselor at the school I started teaching at and he had gone off to UK to get a doctorate in education which he did but with the understanding he got a leave of absence and he promised them he'd come back and work two years well the job at Henderson opened up uh, and Dr. Arnold, who was the director and the chief administrative officer, had talked to Seth about taking that job because that was his background. Wow. And he told Dr. Arnold that he could not take the job because he owed him another year at Fort Knox. But he recommended me, and so uh, that's how I got here. Oh, okay. I don't, <laughs> that was a... Uh, a recommendation that was definitely a blessing. Now, uh, <laughs> it was for me. It was uh, these, these. This is where I should have been. This is where I was supposed to be. I was. I, I was. Uh, that was a. Uh, I was really uh, having some great times at at Henderson Community College, and it has a place in a warm place. Always will have a warm place in my heart. Absolutely. So, 1967 was the year you started at Henderson Community College, huh? That, that's right. That's right. Awesome. And I started as a counselor, and uh, eventually the thing worked out where I became the dean of students. Okay. Do you remember what year you became the dean? Well, what happened is when I started out there, it was uh, uh, we had uh, uh, Dr. Arnold, who was the chief operating officer, and the only other uh, officer at the time was called a bursar recorder. It was he took care of the business and the student records. He was responsible for that, and I was a counselor. Well, uh, uh, this bursar recorder resigned in December. I came in August, and uh, uh, December uh, he left. And that left only me and Dr. Earl as people who who didn't have a teaching assignment. And so he asked me if I would take over the student records and he would take over the business records until we found somebody. Oh, uh-huh. well, And I enjoyed that. And so uh, after three or four months, uh, he decided that I could just stay in that role, which he eventually evolved into the dean of students role after a 
couple of years, and uh, and he hired a then a business officer. So that's how that came about. Oh, okay. It's kind of evolved into it. I don't think I earned it on married. I think it was just he looked around in desperation that I was the only one available. No, I don't think that happened by accident. Well, I like to think otherwise, but I'm not sure that was the case. No, you, you, you were a good fit. Now, uh, what were some of your... Well, I loved that job. I, I really loved the job. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, I can imagine. Now, uh, what are what are some of your best memories and most meaningful highlights of your time at Henderson Community College? Oh, boy, I don't know. Uh, I tell you, I, I think one of the things that struck me is that... Uh, is the, the people and the faculty and the kids the students uh, they were just uh, they were just delightful uh, and uh, I had come what was funny uh, I had taught at Fort Knox for eight years and, and the students there had been all over the world uh, they they were pretty relatively sophisticated uh, they had been I remember the first year I was teaching I had uh, 28 students in a class, and I said, how many of you have been out of the country to some foreign country? 26 of the 28 had been to some of the country. Most of them had been to Europe. They were very, they were sophisticated uh, beyond, uh, uh, you know, beyond the normal uh, school students. Uh, but, and so when I came here, I was, uh, I was in my element with the, with the, with the students here because that's that those kinds of people I had grown up with, sure. and I don't know there were so many good experiences. Doctor Arnold was a was a kind, gentle, uh, gentle man. He was uh, honest with his with his uh, teachers, with his uh, with his uh, employees, and uh, he gave uh, it, it was uh, just a good experience for me. Now uh, you retired from HCC in '96, right? That's correct. Yeah, '96. Yeah, that's what What's I thought. Strange is Jane. I got a job working with the uh, with the uh, extension agency here. She was an extension assistant, and so uh, she and I retired the same time, the same day. <laughs> oh, how about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boy, that was that was a big party that night. I'm sure. But. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, uh, a lot of our listeners know you, too, from your bluegrass background in uh, Canoe Creek and then Highway 41 and then Fishtown. I guess the band names always changed when the group members yeah. came and went. Is that about how it went? Yeah, they did. We, uh, what was funny, uh, Sam, and I don't know how to... I don't know how to, uh, uh, I don't, I can't tell you the exact time, but my next door neighbor, uh, when, when, uh, shortly after we moved here, uh, was Barry Denton, and Barry had had, uh, he had played a guitar when he was a kid, and had sold it, uh, sold his guitar, went on to get a master's degree in social work from, uh, UK. Oh, uh uh-huh. Well, when he and his wife, Martha, moved, got uh, their degree at UK, and they moved back here, and lo and behold, the apartment was available next to us. And uh, so he and I became closer friends then. I'm considerably older than Barry, but uh, we had things in common. And uh, my sister 
Now, I was in my 40s. I can't tell you where. At least 45, I think. Gotcha. And uh, my sister had come across a guy giving away an old beater of a guitar, about a $19.95 guitar. And she had this guy give it to me. And uh, so I started banging around on it. And Barry started coming over and picking it up and playing a little bit. And one day he and I went over to Evansville and he bought himself a, a, a guitar and he and I sat on the back back deck here and played, or, you know, tried to play. Right. And then in the meantime, my friend Buddy Overfield, who was one of the, one of the greatest influences on my life, even he and I. Yeah, I mean, a, a former I, HCC you know, teacher. That's right. That's right. Taught English. You know, it's strange about that. Uh, it was a year or two before he and I really became close, and then we became very close. And he was a musician of sorts. He played the fiddle and could play. He did some folklore programs. And so this is where your mother Susie and her friend Tammy would come up to Buddy, and uh, he bought a guitar, and I'd go up there in the afternoon, and he'd show me a chord, and I'd work on it, work on it, work on it. So eventually, he and uh, he, oh, you'd like this story. <laughs> I like all your stories. <laughs> he came down. I don't know if you've heard this before, but one day he came down and said, "You know, I've been invited to go to Melody Literal's uh, third grade class out at Corden School and uh, do a little folk program, oh, uh-huh. you know, folk music." Right. And he said, "I'm wondering if you'd like to come along with me and play rhythm." while I sing the song, I said, oh, boy, that'd be right down my alley. And he said, you know, we might get you, to, you could even sing the song. I thought, shoot, I could sing. I know a lot of the songs. I'll sing the song. Well, we get out there, Sam, and um, lo and behold, they heard we were coming, and they had the whole, the whole school, probably 150, 200 kids in the cafeteria. Well, there were me and Buddy and I were there with no sound or nothing and uh, uh, no sound and less talent. But we did uh, what was called a folk program. And in the course of it, I said, now what Mr. Overfield and I are doing is called folk music. And in folk music, unlike a lot of the popular music, the song is the thing, not the performance. That's why people like me and Mr. Overfield, who don't sing very good, who don't have very good voices, can sing folk music. Well, we did our thing, and later on, Melody Literal had all of her kids send us a thank you note. And Sam, I still have that folder that she said to this day, and one of the kids wrote in there, said, Mr. Park, thank you for coming to Corden School, enjoyed your music, and when you said you didn't have a very good voice, well, it's better nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's priceless. <laughs> and that was about the, that's about the height of it. <laughs> it's better than nothing at all. <laughs> so, uh, so Buddy and, uh, and, uh, and Barry and I, we got together and did one or two programs around here for some people who didn't know any better. Sure. And Buddy, Buddy didn't enjoy playing like that much, so Barry and I did a few 
things around town just for having fun. And eventually we're joined by Ken and Christopher, and we we played, and uh, and then Doug danced, and our, our group just kind of grew until it was, uh, we, we called it Canoe Creek, and we played quite a bit. And this would be an interesting thing for you, I think. Uh, uh, you, you remember John, well, my good friend, good friend, dear friend, John Stanley Hoffman. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, John quite well. John loved what we were doing, and he'd come around while we were playing. Well, at the time, we had a mandolin, a banjo, and two guitars. And I said, John, you, you're always around here. We need a bass. Why don't you learn to play the bass guitar? And lo and behold, he did. How about and, that? And turned into a good bass player. So he joined us, and that was where Canoe Creek came from. There we go. That's a cool story. Now, when was uh, when was Canoe Creek officially formed? Do you remember the year? You know, I can't tell you. I'd say somewhere around the early 80s. Gotcha. I, I can't, can't give you. And eventually it, it just evolved into uh, Highway 41 and then, uh, uh, then uh, Fishtown. And that's kind of the evolution of it. I tell you, it's hard for music, many musicians uh, you get five or six people. It's hard uh, to stay together for a whole long, long time because oh, sure. uh, you know you get different uh, personal needs and and so anyway we've been fortunate and I've always uh, Sam been so fortunate to play with good musicians and that's been one of the one of the fortune, good fortunes of my of my kind of musical absolutely that's <laughs> that's what makes music fun too when you have good talent to play with so oh it does it really does <laughs> a lot of our listeners also remember you from uh, on the front porch on wson it was a weekly show it aired five days a week for how many years bob you know sam i think it was 13 years i did five days a week that's pretty impressive uh, and the early years I, all of them I had to you know I had to write what I did Steve McCarty is the technical director at the Fine Arts Center at sure. college right. and uh, he recorded all of them on a CD and I did 33 I think 32 33 34 somewhere there with around 20 never below 20 and sometimes a few more than 20 uh, so that's a lot of programs and uh, uh, after oh, <laughs> after so many years, I started to kind of repeat them because people, you know, you think people remember what you say. They don't remember. You can tell them a joke today and five days later, you can tell it to them again. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Short-term anyway, memory. Uh, so I repeated them, and I got to the point where uh, I had run out of so many ideas, and uh, uh, it was we we mutually agreed that we'd just drop the program after 13 years. It's a long time, long run, though. Yeah, that's a long run. It's pretty impressive to be able to keep it going five days a week for that time yeah. frame too. Now, uh, it is. And, and WSOM was so uh, cooperative and kind, allow me to do that. Now, a lot of your stories from the front porch were based on. Um, experiences you had growing up in Taffy, weren't they? 
Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I tell you, uh, the, the stories, uh, I didn't use the same names, but uh, when I give a name to somebody, it's with another a real person in mind. Right. And uh, sometimes it's a composite of a couple people. But, you know, I hadn't thought of it, but I created a little uh, community of fictitious people based on real people's name. I mean, real people's actions. Oh, I and, gotcha. uh, you know, uh, what's funny, when I, when I think of uh, Marshall Marshall, uh, I've got an image in mind, you know, of a real people. Now, Marshall Marshall is a composite of two people, so, uh, but at any rate, and, and you know, Sam, so many of the, especially the early stories were based on real incidents, real stories. You have to, you have to, sometimes you have to color it a little bit to cover up the real story and the real person, and to with, uh, you don't want to risk embarrassing somebody. <laughs> right. Yeah, you don't want to but, rub them the wrong way. But You know, and, and Sam, uh, uh, truth is much funnier than fiction anyway. Yeah, you, that's you true. Know, <laughs> you tell a true story. It's funnier than fiction. I've heard so. people say the best stuff is not stuff that you make up. So That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. You don't know do all that anyway yourself. Yeah, so. I've, I've experienced that too. So, so Esther Lean and Mabel Dean and all your characters, those are all based on... Real people. <laughs> real real people, people that you knew. I gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes the real people, the real person is more uh, exaggerated than the uh, than the, uh, the the person I'm writing about. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> sure. I can imagine. Uh, and uh, Marshall Marshall, who you were talking about a few seconds ago, he was the, the town marshal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's based on a couple of town marshals I've known in the time my time. Okay. Oh, I should say law enforcement officers, maybe not town marshals, but... <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and uh, anyway, Bum and Mabel Dean are certainly, were certainly real people. They had nine, uh, they had 11 kids, uh, and they had eight boys, and, and uh, the father wanted to have his own baseball team. But he had eight boys, but he had three girls who could play better than most boys. So he he wound up with his own team. But anyway, oh. so I give them. I think I've got to give them lefty kids, or can't remember. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome though that he he made a baseball team out of his own family. Right. Speaking of front porches, you wrote a book back in I believe 2013 called uh, "Tall Tales and a Few White Lies from the Front Porch." Yeah, I wrote it, Sam. Uh, you know, for people who think they're too old, and I'm not talking about the quality. It's, it's a pretty, uh, uh, it's pretty ordinary stuff. But it, that's not what I'm talking about. The point. I was 80 years old when I did that. So people who think they're too old to do anything, they're not. Never. They're not. Never. But I wrote. I, I wrote that book, and I incorporated some of the tales from the front porch and all of that. And it's just a labor of love. That's all it was. Uh, and at any rate, uh, I, I had so much fun doing it. I got to tell you this: that Donna Stidney, who's a friend of yours. Oh yeah, Donna, know her well. As she edited that book for me. And I tell you what, she has, I couldn't have done much without Donna. <laughs> She's one in a million, isn't she? <laughs> oh, gosh. I, uh, maybe maybe two million, but uh, uh, she's special. Yeah, she's she's good people. So some of the some of the stories in that book were from your radio show, and you and you threw some others in there, I guess, too, for some variety. Oh, huh? yeah, 
Yeah, I re- there's one in there about the bicycle. Do you, you, you probably don't remember it. Uh, I, you, know, you got time for me to tell you real quickly? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got plenty of time. Uh, I, uh, my, my, one of my good friends at Beta got a brand new uh, Western Flyer bicycle. And uh, and uh, so, at any rate, he, he told me they had a bunch of men at Hartford at the, at the Western Auto store, and they were just twenty four ninety five. huh? Now, my dad always wanted to get me what I wanted, so I thought, well, shoot, I'll just tell dad. He'll get me one of those brand-new bicycles. And he would generally he would t- go into Hartford on Sunday, Saturday afternoon when we lived at Beta, which was about five miles. He'd drive a car. And uh, so I, I told him about it, and he kind of accepted the idea. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, Sam, I sat out in front of the in the front yard for about two hours waiting for that bicycle, waiting for him to come home with that bicycle. Well, I saw him coming down the road, and I, in my mind, I had envisioned it would be propped up on the front bumper. Right. And and he came into view, and he didn't have it. <laughs> no bike, huh? What, what happened? Well, now I know he didn't have $24.95. But at any rate, so... <laughs> I got to think, you know, this kind of serious. So I started praying about it, and I, I told the Lord, I said, now, Lord, here's what I'll do. If um, if you give me that bicycle, I, I'll give you a year, a week off my life. You can call me home a week earlier than you meant to, and I'll swap <laughs> you a week of my life at the end when I'm a little bit more weak, you know, than I am right now, and enjoying life as much as I was right at the moment. So I said, uh, I will then let you have that, and uh, 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 you can uh, you can call me home a week earlier. That's so, how bad you wanted that I, bike. <laughs> I did, and I was pretty confident of it then. So that next Saturday he went, and I, I was outside, I sat outside and waited, pretty sure I was going to get it. And, uh, you know, here he came, I looked for him again, and here he came, and he still didn't have it. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I thought, shoot, that's bad. And I, I thought, well, I'll go one more. So I promised him two weeks. <laughs> two weeks? This time, and I wasn't quite as sure that I'd get it. I wasn't quite as sure. So that time he came home after I promised two weeks, and he still didn't have it. And I, I decided I'm not giving up anymore in my life. That's it. I'm not giving him three yeah, weeks. Yeah, no more than two weeks. <laughs> yeah, and I settled for an old used bicycle that my brother-in-law gave me that the sprocket didn't work. I'd have to spin it. Ford catch up, but I never did get that bicycle. So I told the Lord, as I told him, said in the book that uh, that I hope the Lord remembers when He gets ready to call me home. He owes me two weeks. Nah. He didn't back in that. <laughs> you know, Garth Brooks said a long time ago, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. I guess there's some truth to that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, so, so some of those stories, I, you know, they're based on real, real things. Yeah, yeah. And for that, for that story and much, much more, check out Bob's book. I assume it's still available at the library, isn't it? I, you know, I, I don't have very many copies left. 
myself, Sam. I made that. We made two, a couple of three reprints. Now, it was never a big seller. It was a pretty much. A, uh, it was. It was successful to the extent I. I had meant to. I had aimed for. I never did intend for it to be well. I mean, if it if it became a big seller, that would have been all right. But that was never. Uh, you know, I just was doing it for much of my own. Right. It is anything. But I've got a few left, but not many. Not many. I yeah. imagine I have over 15 or so left. Oh, I gotcha. So there's a few lurking out and about. If you folks uh, want to get your hands on one, you can certainly do so. No doubt about that. When you started doing playwriting, all those got to be successful real quick. Started with the, uh, the Taffy Opry back in the early 2000s. That's and, right. Uh, Actually, uh, yeah, that would be right. Uh, early 2000s. Do you know when it was? Well, you know when the first one, the date of the first one? I can't even remember. Do I don't remember? know the date. I know it was uh, sometime around the early 2000s, and you it had that. And, well, uh, and you know, Sam, you, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to tell people in, 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 to convince people that you're never too old to do something. So if it were in 2000, I was born in 32, so what does that mean? 78. There you go. And, and you wrote your first Taffy Opera. Actually, that would have been... I was younger than that, though. I think I was. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The point that I'm trying to make is we're not too old to do things. No, you, you always have to be open-minded and, uh, you know, challenge yourself. <laughs> yeah, we've had a great time, and you've, you've been involved in three or four of them, I think. Uh, I've been in you? two. I've been in your last two plays. But, okay, um, you got one coming up. We got one coming up, and we'll talk about that momentarily. But uh, what uh, <laughs> what gave you the inspiration to dive into playwriting, Bob? You know... You know, Sam, I cannot tell you. I think what I had done, I think it sprung from the on-the-front porch stuff. I, I think see that. that. I had done some of those, and I thought, well, maybe I'll put some of these together. And uh, I, I, I don't know, I can't really tell you, except I don't know whether I was starting to think of a book or, or it just a play just emerged. And it was like I wanted those people to come to life. And uh, that was one way I knew to do it. And, uh, and somehow uh, it, it touched uh, uh, in a, it touched some kind of chord in some people. And of course, some people that you know it didn't mean a lot to them, but it but it did to some, and enough that so we've done. Well, we did three. Uh, I, I started out thinking of a Taffy trilogy, Taffy Opry trilogy. Oh, uh huh. And we did all those. We did, let's see, the Taffy Opry and Taffy Goes to War and The Last Christmas Parade. And then I, I did one called uh, Park Ridge Road. Park Ridge Road is the place where my dad and his whole family grew up. And uh, my great-granddad had a lot of land, and he gave it to his kids, and it all bordered uh, Park Ridge Road. So the whole family, the Park family, that as I know it today, came from came from there so i wrote this little song called park ridge road and i thought shoot i, I can make that into a play and and so that's been we did uh, 
Park Ridge Road, and then I did one out there. It was a sequel to that, and I can't even remember the name of it offhand. It was, uh, <laughs> uh, but at any rate, then then we did. Uh, then then this is where you came in. I, I did. Uh, uh, the started with the tr- the, the uh, religious. Yeah, I had a religious thing. One day in heaven that we did at the church, First Methodist Church. And then uh, then uh, we followed that with another day in heaven, and then the pathways to heaven will be the end of that trilogy. Yes, in the first play, I was the devil, so I was I was the bad yeah, guy. Now you're going to be God, so you, you go from <laughs> ridiculous to the sublime, don't you? I'm telling you, that's a heck of a promotion right there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess per- persistence pays off most every time. But uh, <laughs> now, now uh, I have to know when Bob Park is not writing books or plays or speaking to a group of people. What does he enjoy doing during his spare time? Uh, what do I do? I know you got grandkids that keep you pretty busy. Well, you know. Uh, uh, Time takes care of a lot of that, Sam. And you know what? It's still I, I, I still sit down and I I write some things just for my own benefit. Sometimes I wrote this recently. My father-in-law was a man I admired greatly. Uh, he was a very it was a different kind of very very quiet man from Oklahoma, and I admired him. And so I, I wrote uh, I wrote. Uh, kind of a story of, about him just for my own and uh, his family's consumption just recently. And uh, and then, uh, not, not too long ago, I wrote this little thing. I don't know what you call it, but it was uh, wondering what I'm going to be like. I'll be 90 in, 18 mo- in less than 18 months, in about 15 months, 16. It'll be here before we know it. And before we know it. And so I got to thinking, what will I be like when I'm that age, if I make it that long? Uh, you will. And, you know, <laughs> what, will, what, will, what kind of 90-year-old will I be? And, and so those, I, I, I've just fooled around and stuff like that, and mostly for my own consumption. Uh, and, not, you know, right. not a great merit to it, just, uh, just stuff I do. Well, it's good to write for... Uh... It is. Oh, it is. You know, it's good therapy. And I have written a song or two here recently, and uh, so I'm, generally my mind is pretty, pretty, pretty active. Actually, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, modest achievements. At least they're, uh, they're they meet my needs. So that's essentially what I do. Yeah, you're you're uh, never far from a pencil and paper, are you? <laughs> no. No, never far, never far. That's yeah. right. That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good philosophy to have. Now, um, yeah, so our, so our listeners can um, get ready. This uh, this most recent play that you have written, we're scheduled to act it out in August. What you say the date was? Well, it's the twenty first. It's the evening. I think it's the twenty first and twenty second of August. It's on Saturday evening. Uh, and uh, Sunday afternoon, we're doing a Sunday afternoon for essentially two reasons. One is uh, a lot of the people who who will attend are senior citizens, and it's easier for them to get out during the day than it is at night. 
and and the other reason is the COVID. We were scheduled, if you remember, you do remember, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, we were going to do this last year. In August, and we had to postpone it. And so right now, our goal is to do it on August the 21st and 22nd. And we're going to meet the 1st of June, and we're proceeding just like that's going to happen. And we look, we look at it again the 1st of June and decide if it's a goal or not. If not, we have a couple of dates in October. There you go. <laughs> we're, we're bound and determined to do it. It's a, It'll be a little bit different, uh, but... Uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's consists of vignettes. It's uh, it's not uh, can, but but with one general theme, but uh, but a lot of episodes. <laughs> a lot of episodes. Okay, so uh, yeah. you wanna you wanna give our listeners a a little preview? I will. It is uh, it's the setting is the Church of Choice. Now you know that the. Baptist and the Methodist and Taffy, they, they, they were uh, Methodists had a little more money than the Baptists, but their building was deteriorating, and the Baptists didn't have much money, but they had a fairly good building, so they decided to to join the join forces, and they they uh, they created what was called the Church of Choice. Now this uh, this play setting is in the Church of Choice, and the audience is part of the congregation. And uh, so we're going to do some singing of old time hymns, uh, congregational sing along with uh, with us. And and in fact, uh, I think I've only well, I have only written one new song for this play, and the rest of are parts of songs I've written before, and the rest of them are old time hymns that. We'll all, oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> and then, so there's little little vignettes of uh, of, uh, of of people's actions. And uh, one of the bad things is it's the Ledfords. The Ledfords were uh, uh, not a very. They were well. They they would steal you blind. Uh, just to tell Uh-oh. you the absolute <laughs> They steal you blind. They pick up everything it wasn't attached, and so. Uh, they they get into heaven and take care of, take uh, and they steal some stuff and uh, so it's kind of a lot of it revolves around that activity so but that's that's what it is so it's, cool. uh, we'll revisit we'll revisit a lot of the characters that have well in fact most of the characters that will be in this play were certainly on the last one. So we'll we'll get to see uh, Esther Lane and Mabel Dean again, won't we? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna say that those uh, yeah, two can't yeah. go anywhere. They're standards. Uh, and we will we will have all those those people are going to be involved. Yeah. There we go. And what's nice about this, Sam, is you know we have been very consistent with the cast. Uh, uh, the, most of the people, uh, many of them, have been in all the plays. I think. And, yeah. Uh, uh, so. You know, it's 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 like they have become like Chuck Stennett. He's been preacher Newton, and I think all the plays so, <laughs> something similar you know, to him. Yeah, preacher Newton and Steve Hodgkins has been Marshall Marshall, and I think he's in all of them. And so it's it's been a, a long run of the same same people. Yes, and this will be my third. And so if you folks are brave <laughs> enough to watch me play God, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well you got to promote. I don't know how to promote you beyond where you are. Oh, you know. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure we get a full I house. Think that's another step, do you? 
<laughs> oh goodness, I, I think there's plenty, but we'll do we'll do what we can to make sure that uh, we pack the place, and it'll be a fun time. I sure hope so. I sure hope and, so. And uh, we'll get the thing acted out sooner or later, even if it's not in August. So we'll yeah. we'll make it happen. Now, Bob, you've uh, you've been great. We've made a little history too because this is your first podcast, and it won't be your last. I'm bound to determine well, about that. Right. I enjoy talking to Sam, and thanks for thinking of me. You know, when you get to be old, people forget you pretty quickly. So, oh, nobody can forget Bob Park. One more thing: we'd all dearly love to. Uh, we'd all dearly love to be healthy and energetic and productive into our late 80s as you are. So tell us, Mr. Park, what would be your secret, sir? Stay active. <laughs> Stay there you active. Go. Interact with your your friends, your neighbors, and keep your, keep your doing something with your mind. I always tell people who said they're getting ready to retire, I, my, kind of my standard, standard question is, to what? What are you retiring to? Uh, you can't retire and do nothing. Right. Uh, that is uh, that is a uh, 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 license for for demise. <laughs> <In> <laughs> the less you do, the less you want to do. So. Absolutely. And you know, Sam, as the last thought, is, uh, the COVID has been a danger for that because if we're not careful, we'll wind up staying at home and not being active. Yeah, that's not that's not conducive to, to good health, is it? It's not. It isn't. <laughs> Sam, I, I appreciate what you do, and I appreciate you as an individual, and uh, I want to know why I've been so pleased that you asked me to do this. Well, thank you a lot, Bob, and we've sure enjoyed talking to you. Tell Jane and David and uh, the rest of the park crew hello for me. I will do that, and you take care. Oh, the things we can learn from the living legend Bob Park. That was such an insightful and enjoyable conversation that we had, and we'll definitely look forward to the play coming up hopefully in August. If not, it'll be soon thereafter with any kind of luck. And we'll also keep you up to date on Bob's music endeavors with the band Fishtown. I know that with COVID restrictions being lifted slowly but surely, he and the guys are hoping to get back out and play for the masses sooner than later, so we'll do our best to keep tabs on that. Plus, I wanted to let you know that Bob has kindly donated all of his On the Front Porch radio programs from years past to the Henderson County Public Library. So, if you'd like access to those programs, which I know you would for your listening pleasure, contact the library. I know they would be... More than glad to steer you in the right direction so that you can relive those memories from those shows. And maybe while they're at it, the staff can help you land one of the few remaining copies of Bob Park's book, Tall Tales and a Few White Lies from the Front Porch. If you snag one while the getting's good, I know you won't be able to put it down. You'll have that thing conquered in record time, no doubt. But I sure appreciate Bob Park taking time out of his way busier than average retirement schedule to join us today. We look forward to visiting with him again about his future ventures. And I'm going to warn you, Mr. Park's going to be awfully hard to top. But we'll do our best to fill your ears with more enlightening discussion and fun facts next week. And before we put this thing to bed... 
You guessed it, I have the answer to this week's derby-themed Bluegrass Brain Buster. And I wanted to know which horse ran the fastest recorded time in Kentucky Derby history to date. Again, what was the name of the horse that ran the fastest recorded time to date in Kentucky Derby history? That would be none other than Secretariat. Yep, way back in the 1973 Kentucky Derby, Secretariat set the record, which still holds today for the fastest time recorded in Kentucky Derby history. He finished the 1973 Kentucky Derby in an impressive 1 minute 59.40 seconds. Will Secretariat's record be broken? I guess only time will tell. But come on back next week. We'll have another Bluegrass Brain Buster and more fun than you can shake a stick at. Remember my email and don't hesitate to use it. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com for anything you've got on your mind. If you'd like to nominate an exceptional educator in your life, we recently started that feature and I'm always glad to hear about teachers that deserve featuring on this show. And so please feel free to let me know about those as well as other comments, questions, you know, anything you just dying to get off your chest, I'm here for you. And the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page is at your fingertips as well for previous episodes that you may have missed. Updates throughout the week as they are presented. You can also make comments and leave messages via the Facebook medium. So, no excuse not to get in touch with me. And until we get together again, keep laughing, smiling, and blabbing. In the bluegrass. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.